You're listening to audio from the Town Center campus of CA Church, located in downtown Coquitlam. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. For those of you who don't know, my name is Brad. I'm one of the pastors here. Excited to have you guys here. If you are guests with us this morning, very excited. You trusted us with some of your time, especially <clears throat> in the middle of an extremely, um, for many, anxiety-inducing season. You know, joy, love, peace, and anxiety. That, that's not one of the candles, but I think next year we might add a fifth one just before the Christ candle. The, and don't forget anxiety. Um, but uh, I know we know we joke about it very often here, but I know for many of you, um, that time of greeting can be have its own issue of anxiety. <laughs> Some people disappear when it happens. Um, and, uh, and it's hard to, to go and, and say hi to, to new people. But uh, this is uh, the first opportunity you get. The second is when after the service, when we go out and we have some treats and coffee. And, uh, and we try to be a church that, uh, that welcomes in the new and sees those who are new to our church. So let's make sure after the service, we do that exact thing. Before we go in the message, into the message, I, I just want to highlight two things that Adam did a great job of, but uh, I, I, I hooked him up with the wrong slides. So uh, the first is, um, well, no, this is just, I, I didn't give more information. Well, that is the temporary weather shelter. So we specifically are at Town Center are trying to take care of the 7th to the 13th. This January 7th to the 13th. Some of you I contacted this week and I said, hey, can you take on uh, some either the morning or the, or the evening? Uh, but after the service today at the welcome table, there is a sign up specifically for town center. So take your whole family or your community group and try to fill in a whole uh, section there would be fantastic, okay? It's from 5 to 8 in the morning. Everyone's going in the evening. Uh, and the evening, I think, is 8 to 11. Um, and we are also looking for two people who can be team leaders, one who will lead every morning and one who will lead every evening. So if you're up for that, please talk to me after the service. The other one, really quickly, I wanted to note is that, that uh, Adam gave you one date and then it showed another date that's already passed for Alpha. Uh, you probably figured it out, but it's not the past date. It's the one he actually verbalized, which is December, th or sorry, January 31st. <laughs> give you a third date now. No, <laughs> January 31st, we will be doing uh, Alpha again out of the, the Coquitlam Public Library here, looking for people to help host. So uh, you can sign up online for that. You can also talk to Adam over here as well. Great. Now, okay, here we are. We're going to continue in a series we've been walking through for the last uh, two weeks, uh, it, which we call an Advent series. Now, if you're not familiar with the idea of Advent, or maybe you've heard the word Advent many times, and you just think it's another way of saying Christmas, uh, it's not. The Advent season is actually the idea of waiting. Advent means to wait. It has this idea of anticipating something is going to happen. So Advent is actually everything leading up to, but not including yet, Christmas. And that's the season we're in now, this idea of anticipation and waiting. And when Christians celebrate Advent, we kind of remember the waiting of Israel for a Messiah, but we also look to the future when Christ will come again. So we kind of replay out the idea of Advent. We've been walking through a series, talking, uh, just looking at the first chapter of the Gospel of John and talking about this idea of the light shining into the darkness. Now, every other week, we have this minute intro that we, that we play, which is actually the, the scripture reading is on this video. But you guys are so friendly with each other that you never listen to it because we thought, oh, we'll just start it and everyone, like, good student, will sit down. No, no one does. It just plays and no one knew it even happened. So I decided I would welcome you all, start, and then we'll play the video. So, Jenna, we can play that video now. <laughs> 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. The light has come. Yeah, I mean, we had some people in our church create this, so it's important that you actually see it. And I think they did quite a, quite a good job. Uh, what we're going to hone in on uh, this morning is the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 6 to 8, specifically talking about John the Baptist. Now, just to clarify, I'm going to say John sometimes, and, and it's going to mean John, the guy who wrote the story, wrote the Gospel, and then I'm going to say John sometimes, and it's going to be John the Baptist. And sometimes I'm going to remember to say John the Baptist, and sometimes I'm, I'm not. So you guys are going to have to use context clues I, I believe in you to figure out who I'm talking about sometimes. It's a game. It's like a game. Yeah. We should have got your bingo cards to see, to help out. Yeah. So, honing in on verses 6 to 8, as you heard the video, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. That's John the Baptist. He came, he came as a witness to testify concerning the light, who is Christ, so that through him all might believe. He himself, John the Baptist, was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. But then I also want us to look, if you have your Bibles open, to John chapter 1, verses 19 to 23. 19 to 23, which gives us uh, more context to what's going on in verses 6 to 8. And I'm going to tell you right now, there's going to be a lot of scripture this morning, which as a pastor, I should never have to apologize for. I'm just letting you know there's going to be a lot of scripture, okay? Um, so verses 19 to 20, 23 uh, says this. Now, this was John's testimony, John the Baptist, when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, well, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. So what I want to do is two things here. One is I want to unpack kind of what's going on here between John and what he's saying and these religious leaders. And then I want to talk in the second half what that means uh, for you and I. What are the implications of, of this? Now, many of us know John the Baptist was a relative of Jesus. We know that he was chosen before um, by the, um, to be the voice of God before the Messiah. The angel Gabriel uh, visited John's dad, who was the high priest, and, and 
told him that he was going to have a son named John who would go ahead of the coming Messiah. And in, in Luke chapter 1, verses 16 to 17, it says, this is the angel Gabriel speaking, he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, as good as the angel made Gabriel sound, uh, John never pulls that card. Whenever people question him, he's like, you know who I am. I was, it was said by God that I was going to show up. He never does that. He's unbelievably humble in light of the, 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 the gift that God has given him and the position that God has given him. In fact, every opportunity for recognition or elevation is placed aside so that John can always point to the root, true light. Essential to John's mission or his witness was a denial of his own significance. And we see his mindset. We see it summed up in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 26 to 30. Now, uh, John's disciples, and he had, yes, John had his, his own disciples too. He had people following him as well. And who were, he would say, hey, you need to be baptized. You need, the kingdom of God is near. You need, you need to come in. And so he had people who were following him, and he was getting quite popular. And, but then there was this other guy, Jesus, who, who some of John's disciples were heading over and spending time with Jesus. Bless you. And, they, and Jesus was gaining more and more influence, and, and people were leaving John. And so people were coming up to John, his own disciples, and they're saying, hey, John, baptizing is your thing. That, I mean, that's your name. You're John the Baptist. We got the shirts printed. We're start, you were launching your X account. Like, people, we're, we're, everything's aiming towards us. Now there's this other guy, and people are going and starting to follow him. And it says in John 3, 26, they came to John, and they said to him, Rabbi, or teacher, that man who was with you on the other side, of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing, and everyone is going to him. And John replied, a person can receive only what is given to them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. He's, he loves to be at the sideline and watch the whole thing happen. He doesn't have to be a part of it. That joy is mine and is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. Man, if the church learns that last phrase of John, we will do so well. He must become greater. I must become less. And we see that the, his disciples had a hard time figuring out exactly who John was. But we also see that the religious leaders have a real issue with what's going on with John. In verse 19, we see the Jewish leaders, uh, the priests, the Levites. These were the people who were in charge of making sure that no one comes and starts teaching things that are not right. Or leading the children of God astray. And so he's getting investigated by these, the religious police, basically. And they start to ask him some questions. And they're just out to... to to protect orthodoxy, they approach him, and basically they're saying, what are your credentials? <laughs> you're, you're making some pretty big statements about the kingdom of God, about his kingdom. You're calling for people to repent and declare their allegiance to this new kingdom. You're telling them to get baptized, kind of symbolic of washing away the old and stepping into this new kingdom. So what we're asking, we're saying, what right do you have to make these claims, John? Who do you think you are that you would make these claims? Who says that Israel needs to change anything? Who says they need to repent? Who says they need to be baptized? Who do you think you are, John? And I love the strength of John's response. Never has someone answered so strongly to say who they're not. 
in verse 20. It says, he did not fail to confess, but he confessed freely, I'm not the Messiah. That's great. <laughs> That's not what we asked. But, <laughs> John, you've, you've shown up like an Old Testament prophet. So who, who are you? John, you look like a prophet. You sound like a prophet. You smell like a prophet. And so are you Elijah? Now, that might sound kind of odd to us, that question. Are you, are you Elijah? We know, for those of us who are old, know our Old Testament stories, Elijah was a prophet uh, of Israel, but we're talking uh, 900, 1,000 years before Jesus' time. Are you Elijah? <laughs> for centuries, they had understood that someone like Elijah was going to show up and bring God's justice and God's kingdom, even, the, even if they didn't understand exactly what that was going to look like. In fact, one of the last statements of the, the, the Hebrew scripture was this, this calling out by the, the prophet uh, Malachi saying, see, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of parents to their children and the hearts of children to their parents, or else I will come and strike down the land with total destruction. In fact, th this, this day, as, as traditional Jews, even today, if you go to a traditional uh, Passover meal, a Seder meal, there's an empty seat, and it's called the Elijah seat. They're still waiting for Elijah to show up. They don't know exactly what it's going to look like. But, hey, are you Elijah? Like, we remember Elijah came and he tried to bring uh, Israel back to God. He, Elijah toppled governments. He, brought, he called for God to bring rain down on, on parched land. So are you Elijah? He pulled um, Israelites away from foreign gods. So are you doing the same kind of thing, John? Are you Elijah? And John says, no, I'm not Elijah. Which is strange, because Jesus refers to him as Elijah in Matthew 11, verse 14. He says, and if you're willing to accept it, he, speaking of John the Baptist, is the Elijah who was to come. So it, it could be, I'm not sure why John says, no, I'm not Elijah. Or maybe he's trying to do a very strong line between don't think that I'm Elijah come back from the dead. But yes, I'm coming in the spirit of Elijah. Maybe that he wants to clarify that. It could be that he didn't. He, he, maybe he didn't realize his own you know, his significance of what he was doing. Or maybe he just feared what might happen if he said, yeah, I am Elijah. What that might have meant. Drawing people aside from what was going on with the Messiah. But I think there was a humility there that John had. He has the job of Elijah, but he will not compare himself to the great prophet Elijah of old. And then they pushed. Well, they said, okay, you're not Elijah. Are you the prophet? And now we're thinking, he just said he's not the prophet. No, 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 this is a different prophet. Like all religious Jews, these, these Levites and priests, they were expecting and hoping for a day when a Moses-like figure was going to show up, one referred to in the Old Testament as the prophet. In Deuteronomy 18, God says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you, speaking of Moses, from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell them everything I command him. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. So John, is that you? Are you, are you the prophet that Moses talked about? Are you like Moses? He says no. And this is where it seems like their game of 20 questions just gets boring. They're like, okay, well, just who are you then? <laughs> this is not fun anymore. Verse 23, John replied to the words, in the words of Isaiah the prophet, this is who I am. I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. Now the full text of what he is saying right there um, comes from Isaiah, and, and they would have recognized this reference. 
In Isaiah verse four, chapter 40, verses 3 to 5, it says, A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, and rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. He says, I am here to tell you to prepare yourself. That's my job. My job is to come ahead of the Messiah and say, you better get ready. I am here to let you know that he is approaching. And he wants in. He wants a, a direct path to your heart. So if you've got mountains in the way, knock them over. If, if you've got to fill some potholes on the road to your heart and mind, fill them up because he is on his way. And we need to make a straight path for, the God, for God of universe to step into our lives. So yeah, if you need to repent, it's time to repent. It's time to knock down anything that's going to get in the way of the Messiah stepping into your life. If there's crooked roads, get them straightened out. I'm pointing to that coming king. That is my job. That is who I am. So some have argued, and this is where we, we turn things a bit. Some argue that John, the gospel writer, is trying to portray John, the Baptist, as the ideal witness of Christ. Do you want to know how we live out a life that points towards Jesus? Look at John the Baptist. He is the poster child for how you go about doing this. And I think that it, there's a good argument to be made for that. And I think there are some important aspects of John's character that we can learn from if we are going to be witnesses to the light. If, we, if you call yourself a Christ follower and we want to live as disciples that continue to aim towards him. New Testament scholar Frederick Bruner says this, he says, it is very important that Jesus' disciples know who they are and who they are not, and how to say so. If we are sure only of who we are not, we can suffer from an inferiority complex. If we are sure of who we are, a sense of superiority lurks. But if we can know rather clearly both who we believe we are and who we are not, this is happy knowledge indeed. Who's on first? So who are we? In relation to the light? That's the question this morning. Who are you and I in relation to the light? And, and first, let's answer this. Who, are, who we are not. <laughs> who we are not. We are not the center of the story. You and I are not the center of the gospel story. Even, even our salvation does not end. The story of the gospel does not end with you and I being saved. That's the one I was taught. The end of the gospel story is that Jesus reigns above all of creation and forever will. That's the gospel story. And so we ought to straighten out our crooked roads. And so we ought to knock down the mountains that are in the way. And so we ought to fill some of us very deep uh, potholes and make, make straight the path for the Lord into our lives. Even our, our, our salvation is not the end of the story. Witnesses point to something else. We point away from ourselves. Like John, our invitation is not to be, it, it is to be as like the moon to the sun. We are the moon to Jesus the sun. We, we become a source of light to those around us in the world only when we are less of ourselves and more reflective of Jesus, when we are a reflective surface of the light of the world. So if we want to be like a lamp in the world, if we want to be like a, a city on a hill that, that shines so, so that, that the world can see more clearly, we submit ourselves more and more to the light of Christ. He must increase and we must decrease. 
That's important to remember. But as, as Bruner uh, also says, the guy I just quoted, he also says this, if the first peril of Christians is to think too much of themselves, the second is to think too little. So we also need to know who we are. We are moons to Christ's Son. We are honored ambassadors. Do you ever think of the, the fact that being called into the family of Christ and being witnesses to the light is an honor? 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. And this is the, the appeal. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. What a great message we have. To a dark world, a chaotic world, to be able to step as ambassadors of light, reflecting his light, and say, hey, God wants to be reconciled with you. Isn't this a great story? Come on into this story. We are witnesses also to the light of the sun. Acts 1, verse 8. Many of us know this. Jesus says to his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all of Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You'll be witnesses at home. You'll be outside of your home where you're uncomfortable, even with people you don't like, and you keep going until that light has shone everybody. We have been commissioned by Christ himself. That is a great privilege. That is who we are. That is our identity as children of the living God. And you do not get the idea that John thinks too little of himself. He doesn't put himself down. He just knows who he is. And especially who he is in relationship to Jesus. C.S. Lewis says it this way. He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. And as Christians, it is not that we think little of ourselves. It's just that we continue to pour on the glory and recognition to Christ. I am not the light. I am a witness to the light. I am not Elijah. I am not another Moses. I am not the point. I am the pointer. And I will continue to point. I am not the story, but I am not the word, but I am a voice. Speaking of that word. Speaking that word. And as is his church, we are not the resurrected Christ. We are children of the living God. We have been invited into a story that ends in the toppling of all darkness. What a privilege to be on the ground floor, to be a part of this story. And from this story and from this light, you and I find our sustenance and we find our strength in a world that feels very dark and very closed off at times. This is where we find food for our journey in continuing to point to the light. And, and tethering ourselves to the light. Martin Luther said it this way. He said, we're all just beggars telling other beggars where to find bread. That's why we never, when, when we, when we want to share as ambassadors of Christ, when we want to share the story, we never come from a level above anybody. We are just beggars telling other beggars where to find bread. So the last thing I want to talk about is just, so, okay, so what? This is a great story. We love John. We've all, we all grew up to, to love John wore the coolest clothes, and had awesome hair. But what does this mean for the church? What does this mean for the individual? What does it mean for the world? Well, when we understand who we are and who we are not, when, when we live as reflectors of light, pointers to the light, we become Christ-centric. This is what it ought to look like. We become Christ-centric. It means that everything we do, every ministry, every statement, needs to be done with a view to reflect from us and to reflect Christ. One of the most beautiful moments in, in John's uh, life is, is in this chapter. 
It's, it's such a powerful moment. And I don't even know if John the Baptist understood the, the power of this moment. But he sees Jesus. And it's kind of like John is the last piece of the, the Hebrew scripture puzzle. There have been hints since Genesis that God was going to redeem the world. There's, there's hints that, that a Messiah was going to come in, in, the, in, the, in the, the family of David. That, and then we get more and more pieces. Going to be born in Bethlehem. Going to be born of a virgin. He is going to save humanity from sin and death. And you hear the different prophets of the Old Testament saying things, putting pieces on the puzzle. Or all of the Old Testament is kind of like a giant hand ready and getting more and more specific on where it's going to point. And then John, as kind of the old last Old Testament prophet, gets to physically point to the one that all of the Old Testament was speaking about. What an amazing moment. And in John chapter 1, verse 29, it says, John saw Jesus coming towards him, and he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the one. The ones you've been reading about, the, one you, what, the reason you've memorized Torah, the, re, the reason you've been looking out for a Messiah. This is him. And that's why for a church, for an individual, for a ministry, our best ministry or worship, if it does not aim away from what we can accomplish towards what he has already has accomplished, is not fundamentally Christian ministry or worship. If it's not aiming towards Jesus, it is not Christian. When we live as reflectors of light, pointers of the, to the light, we become Christ-centered. And that must be the aim uh, as a church. It must be the aim as individuals. But also, what is so great when, when we become the, the kind of people that reflect Christ, and that's all we're worried about, we find a sustainable faith. It's a much easier faith to live. What happens when we, we don't is we try to manufacture light on our own by being good moral people. And we will all fail it before we hit the pillow tonight. In some way, shape, or form. When we just try to manufacture hope or faith. And when a church does that, it, be, it, it gets in danger of becoming a show. When we try to manufacture joy, manufacture excitement. Sometimes it becomes therapy just to hold us throughout the week. I just need to go get my dose of therapy, my spiritual therapy, and then I'll be set for the week. It becomes lights and emotional manipulation. But the problem with that, as Kyle Eidelman says, is what you win them with is what you win them to. And many of you, if I've spoken to you, you've heard me use this phrase. What you win them with is what you win them to. For those of you who know me, I always get a little antsy with the smoke machines and the bright lights when things are overdone because what you win them with is what you win them to. Are we winning them with the light of Christ and the beautiful story of the gospel or with some other manufactured event that we can pull off? Because if that is what convinces people to follow Jesus, if that is what we are using to stir people up, to trust him with, with their lives, what about when the lights go out and the music fades? What about when the darkness seems to creep in? They better have something more than a polished worship band. There better be a bit more than that. But when we live as reflectors of the light, pointers to the light, we find sustainable faith. Because it's not about what we can pull off. It's about what he's already done. And we just continue to visit that story. Also, 
when we are Christ-centered, we are, we are reflecting light, and this is connected to the other one, we resist self-promotion. We resist celebrity pastors. Thank goodness. We, we resist worrying about uh, ministry posts and hits on our website. How many leaders would have been saved from accusations of abuse, of, of power plays, of immorality if they had stuck to this idea? When we live as reflectors of light. We're also then free from the burden of perfection. <laughs> Thank goodness. It could mean that being a witness, being evangelistic, you, uh, you might be surprised to know this. Sharing your faith might be a lot easier than you think it is. You might not even have to memorize anything. The Roman road or knowing God personally or whatever it was for you growing up. For me, it was the four spiritual laws. This is all you need. This will take care of everything. You don't need to be the light. You need to be a reflector of the light. In fact, the fact is, if you, if you try to be a source of light for your family, if you try to be the source of light, the bonding source of light for your friends, for those living in darkness around you, you will burn out because you're trying to be the sun. You're not the sun. You're the moon. The moon is not in danger of burning out because it was never the source of light. They'll really change the way we try to live out our Christian faith when we realize it's already been pulled off. Just continue to live in that light. One of my favorite instances of, of pointing towards the light or, or of early witnesses to Jesus is actually, again, in the same chapter, in John chapter 1. It's near the beginning of, of Jesus' ministry, and he, he begins to gather disciples around him. Um, they're hearing his teaching, and they're, they're being drawn in. And not everyone is convinced by, by Jesus at the beginning. So he comes to this small town, a backwoods town, or he comes from a small town as well, a backwoods town, Nazareth. Uh, it's the kind of place that was the brunt of jokes. You know, like when we make jokes. No, I'm not going to do it. But, but Philip, who was, who was one of the, is the first named um, disciple of Jesus in the Gospel of John. He becomes a follower, and he runs to his friends. And he says, listen, in John 1.45, we found the one that Moses wrote about in the law, and, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth. He's the son of Joseph the carpenter. And the response is immediately, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? I'm like, come on. Come on, Nathaniel, really? That's what you got? Come and see, Philip says. I love that. Just come and see, said Philip. Philip doesn't give an apologetic. He doesn't, well, these are all the reasons you should believe. He doesn't say, well, let me pull out my little booklet that has the four spiritual laws. He doesn't know the Roman right? He doesn't have the book of Romans. How did he possibly witness about Jesus? No youth pastor gave him the tools. He just says, well, okay, I get all that. Let's just go, well, why don't we just go meet him? Why don't we just go talk to him? Today, the argument might be, I don't like the church. I don't like Christians. I feel like Christianity has been well represented on social media and in the movies. And I've come to the conclusion, no, really, no laugh? Okay. <laughs> and I've come to the conclusion, I, I don't want to follow Jesus. Philip just says, oh, okay, well, just forget about it. Let's, I'm not going to argue against that. Just come see Jesus. Come meet him. Come here. Hear what he has. The, the work we could do, instead of getting, working on our apologetics sometimes, when people have some real concerns with Christianity, you say, oh, okay, yeah, okay. You probably got all sorts of great stuff there. Let's just go see what Jesus says about himself. Let's, go just, let's just go listen to Jesus. Let's spend some time with him. That is the core of evangelism. That, that's the core of being a witness like John was, like Philip was, like the early disciples. 
an effective reflection of light. Let's just go look at the light. Let's just go look at it. So as we enter this final week of Advent, this final week of anticipation, we haven't added the fifth candle of anxiety yet, but we're feeling it. What does this mean for us? Because some of you can't even sit through a message right now. You're thinking, oh man, I got all this stuff I got to do this week. I haven't got this person a present. I haven't got this done. What does it mean to aim away from, from, from all else, from, from the self, from, from production, from nostalgia, and look at the light? Because if we are honest, Christmas seems like a never-ending scratch at an itch we can't satisfy. Every year, we're trying to get it with the right movies. We were talking about this before the service. We've got to get the right music in. We've got to get the right movies in. And we'll be watching some good ones tonight. But Christmas always kind of feels like this, this, this scratch we just can't get to. And then it's gone. And to be honest, there are plenty of versions of, of, of Christmas that deal with symptoms of the human dilemma, but never go to the source. Author Richard Beck talks about what he calls this ache that humanity has. And, and I, I feel like in the last five to ten years, this ache seems to be getting louder and louder and louder. And the symptoms seem to be growing more and more. He says this. He says, the ache is the photographic negative of enchantment. He's talking about what happens to a world that dismisses God and does not want God to be a part of the picture. The ache is the photographic negative of enchantment, the hole that has been left in our lives because we've turned our attention away from God. The ache is our disenchantment with disenchantment, our doubts about our doubts, our skepticism about being so skeptical. God may be dead, but we sure miss him. That's why a Christmas that finds its end point at the bottom of a tree rather than at the foot of a cross will always fail to bring lasting light. If we are not looking past the Christmas tree to the cross, understanding the fuller narrative, we will always be scratching at an itch and it will never be satisfied. We are invited to reflect light as John did, to be, to be a moon to the eternal light of Christ. But more than that, we are also invited into this light of Christ this, this joy of humanity's desiring, the light who brings life and peace and hope and joy and love, not for a season, not for, for a moment, not for Advent, not for Christmas Day, but for eternity. Shining in our darkness, shining in our circumstance, to him be power and glory forever and ever, the light of the world. And may we be a reflection of that light to the world pining for light and pining for life. That is my prayer for you as we head into this last week. Let's pray together. God of grace, we thank you that you are not a God who stands far off. You have revealed yourself through your word, through the prophets of old, and ultimately you have revealed yourself through your son, Jesus Christ. <clears throat> So that there can be no question, does God see the darkness that we live in? Does, does God understand the, the, the anxieties of humanity? We look to Christ, we look to God in human flesh, Emmanuel, the incarnate one, and we know that you understand the plight of humanity. 
We worship a God with scars. And so this morning and in this last week of Advent as we aim towards Christmas, may we look to the tree and be, and be reminded of the, of the great gift of life that you've given us, but may we look through the tree to see how you went about it. <laughs> we thank you that that manger led to a cross. That cross led to a tomb. And that tomb led to a throne. And so as we sing songs during this, this last week of Advent and we celebrate on Christmas the coming of God, Emmanuel, God with us, may we celebrate this new life that you purchased with us, purchased for us through your blood. And may we live, may we, may we not try to stir up hope and joy. You have gifted it to us. And so may we be conduits, may we be, uh, may we be a reflection of the light that you've shine, shone into our lives. May this be true in this season and may it, may it be true throughout the year in our homes, in our, in, our, in our workplaces, in our schools, at Starbucks, and in rush hour traffic. May we be a reflection of your light, even in this time of, of anxiety. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.